Let's pray. Father, thank you for this Sunday service that we can come. Those who are here, our guests who are visiting with us today, I pray, Lord, that in this service, as we come to this portion of worship, that you would take of our first fruits of the week, use it for your honor and your glory, for your kingdom. We think about the ministry of Vacation Bible School this week, that the young people that are going to be coming here and all of those who are putting time and and effort into this ministry. And uh, Lord, we pray that as the gospel is presented, uh, would the lives be changed and would they see the grace that is uh, flowing to them, uh, even at a young age. And uh, bless this service and the time to open your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for that. Um, all the pianists in the church, I think, uh, at least most of them. Uh, never seen so many fingers on a piano before. And uh, praise the Lord for that message and song. Uh, it is well, it is well with my soul. Take your Bibles and turn over to Luke, Luke chapter 8. I was just thinking as I was sitting here looking up on the platform, most of the time I'm the other way around, and um, I was thinking about the theme this week that we teach to the young people about the spiritual warfare that is going on in, uh, um, in our world over the lives of people. Ephesians is going to talk about that in Ephesians chapter 6. But uh, as I was thinking about uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse 13, our 12 says, giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet, fit, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. And there is definitely a, a battle that is going on in our world today between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. So many lives are being overpowered and blinded in the kingdom of darkness by the devil. And we saw that last week in our text in Luke 8. A man that was possessed by a legion of demons. Between most commentators, between 2,000 to 6,000 demons in the battle of this man's mind and soul and his heart. And then he meets Jesus. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. The one who's going to come and bring that kingdom of light. And there he delivers him from the power of darkness and he translates him into the kingdom of the Son of God. And what a, what a power. And as we think about that this week with our young people, we're going to talk about the two different kingdoms. The kingdom of the devil and the lies, the blindness, and the sin, the direction of hell. Those who are lost and the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that he brings to those who will receive the grace of God. And then we'll walk through some of the armor of God uh, in Ephesians chapter 6 because those who are in the kingdom of, of, uh, of the Son and are headed towards that kingdom that is to come to this earth, uh, citizens, uh, we're in a hostile environment. And we need the equipment. We need the armor of God to help us in our daily walk. And so each day we're going to learn a different piece of equipment uh, from the armor of God. And I pray that you'll invite your young people. Bring, bring them to, to, uh, to Vacation Bible School this week. And, um, and maybe even we'll see some of those themes in the text today. Luke chapter 8 and verse 40. The scripture says, And it came to pass when Jesus returned... If you remember um, from, from last week, he was on the southern portion of the Sea of Galilee in the area of Gadara, the Gadarenes. And in verse 40, he said, as he returns, he's coming back to Capernaum on the north side, people gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at the feet of Jesus, and he besought him, he begged him that he would come into his house. For, because he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lie dying. And as he went, the people pressed 
thronged, crushed him. And a woman, having an issue of blood for 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, doctors, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her issue of blood staunched. And Jesus said, who touched me? And when all, that's probably the disciples and around, they all denied Peter. And they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throngs thee and press thee. And sayest thou who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me. And I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she was found out, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared unto him all, before all the people, gave testimony in front of everyone for what cause she had touched him. Why did she come and touch him? And how she was immediately healed. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. And while he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Fear not, believe only. She shall be made whole. Father, help us as we open the scripture and we look at the text as this time, Lord, encourage our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke, the doctor, knows all about patience, appointments, and waiting. Doctors see patients, and patients are supposed to have patience as they wait for the doctor. We've all been there on both sides. Have you not? You've been in the, the waiting room where you are waiting for your appointment and it's already an hour past the appointment. But you've been on the other side too where you've been in the exam room and there the doctor sits with you going over your chart and you're telling him all of your aches and pains, all of the problems that are going on. And he's nodding and saying yes and yes. And, and, and uh, have you been exercising? <laughs> have you been you know, eating well? And, and, what, and you're, you're just going through and he's taking his time with you. You don't have any care in the world when you're in the exam room about the person in the waiting room until you're the one in the waiting room. And those appointments get pushed back and back as the day gets longer. This story in the Gospels is an interesting story about waiting. Waiting. Luke takes personal pride in this story as a physician. Luke records 16 verses of this story. The Gospel of Mark records 23 verses of this event. And Matthew records only 8 verses. But of those three Gospels, 47 verses in these three Gospels that are dedicated to this event. It obviously is special to the disciples and to the Gospel writers and to the Holy Spirit that, that empowered them and, and, and inspired them to write this gospel. Luke 8 is a chapter about Jesus changing lives. 
Jesus is willing and he's able to do so. Luke records all, uh, all these encounters with Jesus. How people, when they come and meet Jesus, they walk away never the same as they were before. They've been changed. Luke likes to show the importance of the individuals. You see, for the disciples, he calmed the storm and rebuked their faith as they were to wait in patience. For the demon-possessed man, he calmed his mind, he calmed his body, he calmed his soul, and he brought peace to him. And he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. The power of Jesus is evident in his identity as they cry out in the first story, What manner of man is this? And in the next story, the demons say, Thou son of the most high God. The winds and waves obey his command. Evil spirits quake in fear just in his presence. Jesus can control a legion of demons with just the sound of his voice. He can bring peace to the soul who's ravaged by evil influences. He can take a man who is out of control in his mind and body and sit him down at his feet. Jesus can do that. And only Jesus can do that because he is the son of the most high God. Then Jesus in the story, in the narrative, gets back in the boat and like a doctor, he has appointments to keep. He came down to Gadara because he had an appointment to keep. He told the disciples that when he told them to get into the boat, we're going to go to the other side. Now, he gets back in the boat and he's headed back to where he came from because he has two people that he wants to meet. He's got an appointment. As the verse that introduces us here in verse 40, it says here that he is already, there is a throng of people who are at the waiting room waiting for him to return. Where's the doctor? We've got things we want him to do. We've got healings that he needs to do. There were people who were waiting for him on the other side of the sea. But Jesus had two specific people that he had appointments with. So, let's look at these people who are forever intertwined. All three Gospels connect this story with Jairus and his daughter with the woman in the issue of blood. And they're intertwined together specifically because they are pointing out the story of waiting. I've entitled the message this morning, a first part, and then we'll come back this evening for the second portion, um, Divine Delays. Divine Delays. Let's look at Jarius first in verse 40 to 42. The scripture says here, and it came to pass, and Jesus returned. They gladly received him. They were waiting for him. And verse 41, and behold, there came a man. This is the same word that is used in chapter 7 and verse 12. Behold, there was a dead man. In chapter 7 and verse 37, behold, a woman of the city, a a, a sinner, entered into the Pharisee's house. Again, I just repeat, this word behold is an introductory word to draw our attention to something that is very interesting. Can be translated the the word look. What do you know? Just right here as Jesus gets off of the boat and, and all of these people are waiting for him. Look at there, 
there just so happened to be a man waiting for him. In fact, some translations translate this word behold, meaning just then look. What happens? Something awesome is getting ready to happen, so you better pay attention. That's why Luke is putting that in here. These are markers to help the reader to say, now don't read through this too quickly. Something special is getting ready to happen. Individuals, over and over again, I'm intrigued at how Jesus doesn't just come to the masses or to the crowds or to the whole world or to the everybody's or the whole town. But he comes to you and me. You see, he did come for the masses. Everywhere he went, there were throngs of people, multitudes that were gathered before him. But he was never too busy with the crowds that he couldn't focus on one person, on an individual. You see, he is the Savior of the world. That's why he came. That's why God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loved the whole world and sent Jesus to die for the whole world. However, don't forget that he is also the Savior of the individual. Have you ever got lost in a crowd before? You couldn't find where you were going and all of a sudden you just got lost because there were so many people around. Maybe you've been in a large group of people, maybe like a Sunday morning like this or maybe, and yet you still felt alone. Because even though you were surrounded by many people, you still felt lonely. Listen to Jesus, you're not a number. You're, you're, not, you're not a mass of people, a mass of group. Jesus sees each and every person. And he takes time for each and every person. You see, this story screams of the individual. In the midst of this giant crowd, Jesus had time for a man to come and bow at his feet and change his schedule and go to his house. In the midst of the crowd as they're pressing him in on the street. Already an appointment on his schedule. Headed to a house. He stops and says, who touched me? And everyone stops and Jesus points out one lady. Who never intended to be pointed out. Because this story intertwined with these two people. Help us to understand in the midst of Jesus' busy schedule. And a lot of people and a lot of important things that he came to do. He also understands the importance of touching one soul. He would leave the northern portion of Galilee and go all the way to the southern portion of Galilee to meet one man possessed by these demons. One man. Finish his appointment, turn around and go back. Because the individual is very important to him. You see, we, we all like a doctor who is going to see us as an individual and a person not just a number on his schedule that day. You know, you probably have been in, 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 a, in, a, in a physician's office where you've kind of recognized he doesn't have time for you. And most of the time, you, you choose not to go back. 
Because you're looking for a physician. You're looking for a doctor that is going to take a personal interest in your case and what's going on and, and how to help that connection. See, Jesus is never too busy for you. Just like Jesus was never too busy for these two individuals. Over and over again, Jesus tries to teach his disciples this lesson. This lesson. Look, behold, for the individual. Jairus, if you notice in this verse, Jairus is mentioned by name. He was a ruler of the synagogue in verse 41. And he fell down at the feet of Jesus. This word ruler means chief. It means first among equals. In other words, he seems to be, had a position within the synagogue at Capernaum where he was, he was the one that was chosen by the people to lead the synagogue services. In other words, the chief or the ruler of the synagogue was responsible for making sure the, the liturgy, the order of the service on Sabbath day was organized and, and people were contacted. It would be his responsibility uh, to, to assign the reading of the scripture that day and the per, uh, person who would read it. He was assigned to choose the one who would give the prayer and the benediction. He would be assigned for the one uh, to, to make sure that the one who would be preaching the sermon that day. It was a position that was given to him by the community and a sign of respect from the group and the religious leaders. You didn't just become the chief of a synagogue if you were not chosen by the religious leaders of the area. That would include the Pharisees. In other words, this man was prominent. He was famous. He was rich. He had a name. He was important. He was a father. He was a husband. All of that is pointed out in the text. And I want you to know, as much as he was known for all of those things, and as much as he had going for him, none of that mattered to Jarius at this point in the story. Now he's falling down at the, at the feet of Jesus with his face upon the ground. Why? Because he had found that no matter how famous and rich and prominent and religious he was, when it came to sickness and death, it doesn't look at those things. You see, his position, his power, his fame, his wealth did not exempt him from the pain and sorrow of death. He couldn't buy his way out of it. He couldn't talk his way out of it. He couldn't fix this issue by building another synagogue or, or by putting his money into a project somewhere. And here he is begging at the feet of Jesus to come to his house. It was an urgent plea. Matthew records in his parallel passage that he bows down to the ground. Luke here says he prostrates himself at the feet of Jesus. In other words, here is this man who is prominent, a religious leader, in with the crowd. And he comes to Jesus and he falls in the middle of the, of the crowd on his face. Spread out, prostrate. This was a sign of worship. Matthew says that, he says, My daughter is even now dead. But come and lay your hand on her that she might be healed. The phrase that he uses there in that place, she's not died yet because he doesn't know. He hasn't seen the, uh, the servant come later in the story. But at this point, what he is saying is, She is as good as dead if you don't come and heal her. He is saying that Jesus, you are my only hope. I have nowhere else to turn. 
Luke is the only of the one of the gospels that re- record this account as being his only daughter. The others just reference it as being a daughter. However, Luke puts that word one and only child. In other words, I don't have another one. She is my precious little girl. Luke shows this detail because it draws us into the personal aspect of the pain this man is going through. That small detail, she's my only daughter, is Luke's way of saying, this man is in pain. And Jesus, I need your help. See, it had been 12 years. He had enjoyed this little girl. Jesus had, was probably about 20 years old when this little girl was born down in the city of Capernaum. And now this girl at the age of 12 is at the point of death. You see, God the Father knows what it is like to lose an only child. I think it's important in this story as we see the peer pressure to this man, it didn't matter anymore. The religious elite had not believed that Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, the chapter before, they were making fun of him in this very town. Who knows if Jairus was a part of that? We don't know it in the text, but we know that he was a leader. And he was a leader of the synagogue, the very one that Jesus had healed in. And they cast him out because they were frustrated that he healed on the Sabbath day. But at this point, none of that mattered He was willing to lose his friends, his reputation, his fame, everything. He wasn't like Nicodemus, who cared about his peers, who wanted to stay a secret disciple until after the death of Jesus. This man was willing to come at any cost and open himself and admit publicly and lay at the feet of Jesus a position of worship and say, I don't care what people say, you're my only hope. I have nowhere else to turn. Let them talk. I need you right now. The song that we sing, Are you weary? Are you heavy hearted? Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. Are you grieving over joys departed? Tell it to Jesus alone. Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. He's a friend that's well known. You've no other such a friend or brother. Tell it to Jesus alone. Listen, this morning, you can try and fix your own problems. You can try and fix your sin. You can try and come to church as many times as you want. You can put as much money in the offering plate as you want to try and atone for your guilt and your shame of the sins that you carry this last week. But listen, none of that matters when it comes to your sin and salvation. It is only Jesus and Jesus alone. And to carry your burden of sin to Him at the cross. It's not about a good works. The scripture says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. But only according to His mercy that He saves us. You have to come to Jesus alone. And in Jesus alone do you find forgiveness and salvation. And even as this man who has probably been very stoic in, in his 
trust of the Old Testament law. He's probably already heard the messages of Jesus. Even when he came to the synagogue at Capernaum in earlier the chapters of this gospel, heard him preach, heard him pronounce the, the fulfillment of the books of Isaiah and, uh, and, and the prophets showing that he was the Messiah, he was the Son of God. He already knew that in the city he was healing people, he was rescuing people. Just a few uh, chapters before, a man was let down through the roof in the very city that he was. And not only did he forgive him of his sins, but he told him to take up his bed and walk. All of this that Jairus knew fully aware. So when he came to the feet of Jesus, he cried out to him, Lord, I admit, I need you. You're the only one that can do anything about this. And I would encourage you today, I would plead with you today, stop trying to do it yourself. And come to the feet of Jesus. Like Jairus did. We look number two. At the woman that is introduced for us. In verse 43. And. This is the continuation of the story. And a woman having an issue of blood 12 years. Which had spent all her living upon physicians. Neither could be healed of anyone. Came behind him. And touched the border of his garment. So, as we see in this text, the people that had thronged him in verse 42, we heard that. In other words, they squeezed him. They were pressed upon him. This is the same word. It's only used twice in Luke. It's the same word that's used in the previous parable of the seed and the sower. Do you remember when he said the seed fell on the thorny ground? And the thorns came up and choked the seed. Pressed, crushed. The seed, it's the same word that is used. As Jesus is literally going through the streets, people are pushing and shoving and, and, and pressuring onto Jesus so much so that he's being squeezed, he's being pressed. And don't miss this in the story, it's important in the scene. The pressure of the people and the needs of the people, like walking out of an arena after a ball game, he's just moving along. And someone comes along beside, behind him and reaches through the crowd and touches the hem of his garment. Not his body, but a portion of his clothes. This woman is not named. Jairus is named. She is one who has suffered as well. Both of them are suffering with no one else to turn to but Jesus. Jairus was rich, but this woman is pointed out in all three Gospels that she had lost all her living giving to the doctors, spent everything she had. Jairus was a man of honor, position. This was a woman of shame because of her condition. Jerry, uh, he was very open about his, his, uh, his coming to Jesus. He came and in front of everyone, threw himself onto the ground and said, Jesus, would you come to my house? This woman is very secretive. She's silent. She comes from behind. In the crowd, just touches his garment. Doesn't want anyone to find out and to know about it. He was a leader in the synagogue. She actually, because of her sickness, was banned from coming to the synagogue. He had a 12-year-old girl who was on, the, on her deathbed. She had suffered specifically 12 years. He was a man. She was a woman. But both were in pain. Both are connected in all three Gospels and both are important in the plan and the appointments of the Lord. 
Notice her physical pain. The scripture says here that she had an issue of blood for 12 years. One translation states this word, a hemorrhaging. We don't know exactly what this problem was, but it had something to do with her cycle. That dealt with a consistent bleeding that never stopped. It says here that she had seen the doctors and they could not heal her. Luke records that. Luke, as the doctor, would recognize the doctors. She had an incurable disease, an incurable hemorrhage that no doctor could figure out the answer to. Interesting enough, Mark says this. She had suffered many things of many physicians and spent all she had and nothing was better but rather grew worse. And I'm sure Luke turned over to Mark and said, thanks for putting that in there. I mean, she suffered at the hands of many doctors and it didn't get any better. In fact, the doctors made it worse. Doctors don't like to talk about that kind of treatment. Right? When things don't turn out like they anticipate. When they prescribe the medicine and the medicine has so many side effects, it makes the problem worse. That's exactly what's going on here. Mark points that out. She had a physical pain. She had nowhere else to turn Her condition had worsened over the years. Twelve years of this physical uh, ailment that would not go away. Not only her physical pain, but her emotional pain. Can you imagine what emotional pain that she had been going through for twelve years? For twelve years, Jarius had known the joy of having a daughter. And around the time of his daughter's birth, this one girl... Who had received uh, this one man who had received a blessing from a little daughter? Now a curse had come down upon this woman in this disease, in this sickness. The Jewish Talmud has recorded in oral traditions of the Jews stated that there were 11 things that a person had to try to get rid of the issue of blood. These were all remedies like superstitious prescriptions that were like. placing ashes of an ostrich egg in a cloth sack and carrying it around. Taking a kernel of corn produced from a female donkey dung. One commentator or one Jewish writer wrote that they were to take Persian onions and boil them in wine and she was to drink it. That'd make you cry at least. And she had tried probably all of those things. And nothing worked. Socially humiliated. Constantly having to deal with this issue in front of people. Everywhere she went. Every place she sat. Every home she went into. She brought humiliation and shame. The emotional burden. The physical burden. The physical pain. The spiritual pain. Leviticus 15 verse 25 states that anyone with the issue of blood was ceremonially unclean for seven days until it stopped. This meant that for seven days a woman was unclean. She could not make a sacrifice. She could not come to the temple. She could not go to the synagogue. She could not participate in any worship publicly because she was considered for seven days unclean and anyone who touched her or touched her clothes were also considered unclean for seven days this lady had had this constant bleeding for 12 solid years which meant she had not seen the door of the temple she had not made a public sacrifice she had not been in a synagogue she had not been in a place of worship for over 12 years 
You imagine what it would be like, the humiliation and even the spiritual isolation to not be able to come in and worship with God's people because you were unclean, a quarantine of 12 years. Some rabbis believed actually that when a person had an issue, when a lady had an issue with blood, it was because she had been unfaithful to her husband, recorded by one rabbi in the first century. In other words, what a shame that she carried around with her, even the public, in what they thought of her, ostracizing her. She would have been just like a leper. She would have been separated for anything spiritual or worship when it came to anything of the Old Testament system. She was constantly reminded everywhere she went, she was unclean, she was dirty, she was diseased, she was in pain, she was too unclean to come to God. And she was constantly reminded of it. Never allowed to go to the worship. Never allowed to go to the synagogue. Separated from all of those. In fact, she may not have ever been able to meet Jairus at the synagogue that he led. Interesting, several of our articles that I read connected the story possibly because of this situation. Of the very opposites of these two people. And yet they both were in pain. Verse 44, she came to him and touched the border of his garment. In other words, she came behind him. Interesting that this is a similar description of the woman who was at the Pharisee's house who came to the dinner table and came from behind where Jesus was and started to wash his feet with her hair. Same type of description. She came in indiscreetly. Came in. She didn't want anybody to know. The the crowds were pressing on. And I thought it's interesting that Jesus didn't isolate himself from the hurting world. He didn't come down and, and just mingle with the masses. He was not separated from people in some holy monastery somewhere. He was right down in the streets where people could touch him. Push him and shove him and touch his garment. Where people could get to him. Jesus was always available. Scripture says here that she touched the border of his garment or the hem or the, the, the fringe or maybe the tassel. Numbers 15 and verse 37 in the, uh, in the law of Moses. Jews were instructed to wear tassels on their cloaks. These tassels were visible symbols that they belonged to God. They reminded the Jewish people that they were servants of God. And they reminded others who saw them that they were God's special people. The Pharisees, in fact, would extend the hem of their garment. Because they thought, they, they began to establish that the longer your hem was, the more spiritual you were. That sounds like a good thing the Pharisees would do. So they would, they would lengthen them the older they got. And then they walked around, you know, and then they have these, you know, giant trains. I don't know how it would be, but they, 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 they showed their spirituality by their long tassels. Matthew 23 in verse 5, Jesus makes reference to that. However, Jesus wore just a normal length. It wasn't anything special. Probably some have indicated maybe hemmed on by his mother. She knew that it would, if she could just touch his tassel, that she would be healed. She didn't want to touch him because it would contaminate him and he would be unclean. 
So if she could just get close enough to him where she could reach out and touch his garment, she could no doubt be healed. You see, her faith was strong. And she knew that the Lord Jesus Christ had the ability to heal her if she could just get close enough. You see, she was healed. Not necessarily one person said this because of the quality of her faith. It was very secretive. Not because of how much she had faith that she had. She was healed because of who her faith was in. It was in Jesus. What 12 years of medical treatment could not heal in an immediate moment. God healed her straightway. As soon as she touched him, it all went away. And Jesus stopped in the middle of the crowd and said, Who touched me? Edward points out that the phrase Jesus uses here is in the masculine, not the feminine, indicating that Jesus did not actually know that it was a woman. I've had to wrestle with that a little bit because I've always understood that the fact that Jesus always knew, but there were times that Jesus in his humanity chose not to know. And it could be an occasion here. He actually didn't know who touched him. And Peter rolls his eyes. After everybody says, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. Peter rolls his eyes and said, Lord, everybody is touching you. What are you talking about who touched you? There's a, there's a spirit of maybe rebuke, maybe a little sarcasm here. That Peter's sticking his foot in his mouth. Trying to, to, to show how much he knows or doesn't know. You see, Jesus was not so much concerned necessarily about the physical healing that took place. If he was, then he would have never just stopped and asked the question. He would have let her go and let her be healed. Sometimes there were people that were healed that, that didn't, didn't come back for personal contact. Remember, I told you last week of the ten lepers that were healed by Jesus and only one of them came back. Only one of them is pointed out because the others ran away. So Jesus is concerned about a personal relationship. He wants to stop everyone. And he wants to point out this one lady and what happened to her. He wants her story to be spread. So he points her out not because of what happened to her body. But he points her out because of what's going to happen and what happened to her soul. He says this, virtue proceed out of me. You see, God's power is not some kind of cosmic energy in the universe that's detached from human feelings. Jesus' power had touched a soul and a life. God's power had personally been engaged with this life. And the disciples couldn't feel it. The crowd couldn't feel it. The Romans couldn't feel it. But Jesus could feel it. Jesus could feel it. He personally felt what she had he knew that her ailment and her pain was there. He felt her pain. He felt her sin. And he felt his power changing her life. See, that's what the power of God can do for you. Jesus Christ on the cross took your sin, your pain, your sorrow. So that when you reach out and by faith you touch him and you receive him. He issues to you his righteousness, his healing. Because he knows what it's like. 
And he has taken and borne our sorrow and our pains for us. For years this woman had fear. She had shame. Now she was trembling and in fear. But a different type of trembling. A different type of fear. Now she was before the God of the universe. Bowing there in praise and adoration for what he had done. No longer did she want to keep this silent and secret. She raised her hand and she said, it was me. I touched you. And here's the reason why. And this is what happened. Notice what Jesus responds in verse 48. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. The word daughter here. It's interesting. This is the only time in the four gospels that Jesus calls a grown woman daughter. Only time. I believe this is connected in the story as Luke and the other two gospel writers will connect this phrase daughter to the story of Jairus and his daughter. This may be as much for Jairus as it was for the lady because just like the daughter was precious to Jairus, this woman is precious like a daughter to him. Four words in this statement that you need to know. Comfort. The word comfort. This is something this woman had longed for for many years. And now Jesus had given her comfort. The word faith. This is key to the story. Because she believed. She banked all of her hope. Just like Jairus did on Jesus. The phrase whole. That is mentioned in this verse. As he says here. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Is the Greek word sozo. Which is where the Hebrew equivalent. Yahshua comes from Joshua in the Hebrew Jesus in the Greek Jehovah saves interesting the other word this word healed that is used here uh, or the word whole and then he says here this word uh, healed uh, that is used here that, that has made you whole there are three words in this story for the word healed there's one that's used in eight, chapter 8 and verse 47, when the, he, when the healing of the plague or the affliction, this is a temple, typical type of disease or affliction word. The other word in verse 43 is used of the doctors who could not heal her. This is the Greek word therapeutic from, where we get our, 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 this idea of therapy from. In other words, the doctors were trying to treat this ailment, this infirmity, and it couldn't be treated. But then Jesus twice in this text uses the word in verse 48 and in verse 50, this word sozo, which, mean, which is translated in the King James for us as whole. It means to be rescued, to be delivered, to be saved. See, the woman who washed Jesus' feet came to Jesus and Jesus said, your faith hath saved you. Now her body had been healed meant that she could return to her earthly family. But more importantly, her soul was saved. And now she was no longer unclean, but clean and could come into the presence of the Father and worship and praise Him. Notice the last phrase in Jesus mentions when He says this little phrase here, Go in peace. It's amazing. You see, in the boat just before, Jesus had told the winds and the waves, peace, be still. 
Jesus came to a man who was possessed by many demons out of control. And he brought to this man a peace. Jesus had told the woman in previously in chapter 7 and verse 50. Jesus brought peace to a woman who was a sinner. When he told her go in peace. And now Jesus says again to a woman. Shalom halachem. Go with peace. I'm reminded of Matthew text in verse chapter 11 when he says come unto me all you who are heavy laden and I will give you rest what a wonderful picture of what Jesus can do for every person I like the song that we've often sung before in our family shackled by the heavy burden neath the load of guilt and shame then the hand of Jesus touched me and now I I am no longer the same. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened. And now I know he touched me and made me whole. Every head bowed and every eye closed as we close the service this morning. In just a moment, I want us to stand and sing, I surrender all. But before we do that, in the invitation today, there could be someone that doesn't know Jesus as your Savior. You've been trying to achieve your own salvation, do your own thing, merit your own grace. Listen, it doesn't happen that way. You've got to come to the feet of Jesus at the cross, and you've got to lay all of your sin. He took them, and He's the only one that can take them and forgive you of your sin. But it's going to require your faith. Not Jesus plus, but Jesus alone. And a decision for you to leave all the physicians and all the other things in this life and look to Jesus. Maybe this morning you have some pain and suffering as a believer. I pray that you'll come back this evening and see that God has a purpose in the divine delays. While all of this is going on, there's a worried, fearful, frustrated Father, who's waiting on Jesus to get finished because he's got a daughter that's dying at home. Sometimes the things that we go through, we feel like Jesus doesn't care. He's not taking enough time. He's too busy. And in this text, it shows us today that Jesus loves you and cares for you and longs for you to carry your burdens to him. Would we stand, please? And if you need the words, it's going to be on the screen. Hymn number 390. I'd like for us to sing a couple verses of this song. It's a song of invitation before we leave. I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender. Let's sing it as a prayer this morning. All to Jesus, I surrender. love and trust in
on that second verse, humbly at his feet I bow. All to Jesus I Thank you for your attention this morning. If you're a visitor today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, we'd love to share with you after the service if you have any questions about that. Only through Jesus and Jesus alone. And maybe you like some, some material. We can get you some material about that. It's the most important decision you'll ever make is to trust Jesus as your Savior and come to Him by faith. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the sermon today and the message and song. Uh, through the instruments, uh, through um, the choirs, they sang uh, this song to come touch the robe. And Lord, I pray that you would bless us as we go today that this text and, uh, would continue to filter through our mind and our thoughts. There's so much pain and suffering, both physically, emotionally, and spiritually in this room, I know, in my heart. And we've got to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We go to the world, we go to drugs, we go to all kinds of different things to try and alleviate a lot of different uh, types of, of, of uh, sorrow and pain. But ultimately, we have to run to you. And Lord, somebody here may be running, but they're not running to you. And Lord, would you bring them? And uh, it's not an accident. You're very, very in tune with what's going on in their life. You're, you, you are very concerned about the individual. You care. And Lord, would they stop running and come to Jesus Christ to save them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.